Our text this morning is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Here's what it says. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know because you have revealed it to us that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So Lord, this morning, make us hungry for this heavenly food. Nourish us today with your word. Nourish us in the ways of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the true bread of heaven. Amen. I noticed uh, this morning as we were saying the Apostles' Creed together, you know, the, the church fathers called the Apostles' Creed the rule of faith, and one of the things they meant by that is that was kind of the first thing that they would teach to new believers. Um, they didn't have back then Bibles that you could carry around, and, and as they read the scriptures, they would use it as a helpful tool to understand what it was saying. Really, every scripture can be understood in in the light of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in what God is doing amongst us. Our text this morning is going to focus in on something from that last paragraph, the Holy Catholic Church. We're going to be talking this morning about the church, not the Roman Catholic Church, but the Holy Catholic Church, okay? There's a difference. Catholic just means universal, by the way. They can't steal that word from us. Um... And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. You can see as we read the text that that's what it's talking about. Now, there's a trend in the church right now, the church at large, among evangelical pastors and and just pastors in general, that some are calling the great resignation. What is this? Well, according to some studies, there's a significant rise in pastors who are uh, resigning leaving the ministry, or, or at least considering leaving the ministry. Just as a disclaimer, none of the pastors that I know here at this church are considering this, okay? So we're kind of looking out. But uh, looking at the larger church, Barna, a Barna study concluded this, okay, in 2021, that 38% of pastors had considered quitting. 38%. That's Almost half of pastors had considered quitting that year. Uh, One author wrote this. He said, I I predict a tidal wave of pastoral resignations coming in 2022. Okay, a tidal wave, pretty extreme language. Tom Rainer, in his research, is predicting a 20% increase in resignations among pastors. And so again, these these are kind of... uh, um, predictions, they're, they're not 100% certain, but if true, these, these people are putting their finger on something, if true, this is a big problem. Seems that there's some type of epidemic of unhealthy pastors and unhealthy 
churches. Now, I'm sure there are many causes and, and many varied things we can talk about on this issue, but one of the main issues here, and that's relevant to our text this morning, is this, the nature of the relationship between the pastors and the church. The relationship of the, the shepherds and the sheep. And that's what our text this morning addresses. See, when we come to the end of 1 Thessalonians 5, there's, there's a temptation to just kind of want to skip over this stuff, right? We, we feel that sometimes when we come to the beginning of a letter, the greeting, or the end of, of one of our New Testament letters to just rush through that part. But here at Del Cerro Baptist Church, we're, we're not allowed to do that. We preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. We start at verse 1 and we end at the last verse. We do this for this exact reason, that we can't skip over any parts of the words of God. Church fathers preach this way. The reformers preach this way. And what it does is it allows God to set the agenda for our sermons rather than what we, your pastors in our infinite wisdom, think that you all need to hear, okay? But it also forces us to preach the whole counsel of God, all of Scripture. When we're preaching verse by verse through the Bible, we don't get to skip the hard passages. We don't get to skip Genesis 6, which I'm really looking forward to hearing Dustin's sermon on, okay? We don't get to skip those passages. We have to preach them. We, we don't get to skip the awkward passages, the uncomfortable ones about sexual holiness, things like this. We talked about that in 1 Thessalonians 4. We don't get to skip passages that, that we might think in our minds are unimportant or ir- irrelevant. We don't get to skip awkward passages. And so if you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, what you find is a bunch of short sentences, kind of Paul's last instructions as he's coming to a close in his letter. And there's this, again, there's this temptation to skip over, but there is a gold mine in these last couple of paragraphs of what Paul's understanding of the church is. And of course, by extension, what the Holy Spirit's understanding of what the church is. And so as we come what we see again is, is these last instructions. And you know what it reminds me of is, is I was flying uh, to and from Denver this last week. And you know, as you kind of come in, you're about 30 minutes from the end of your flight. You can feel the plane start to descend and the pilot comes on the intercom and starts to give you those last final instructions of what to do. Put your, you know, put your laptops away, stow your tray tables. We're almost to the end of our journey. Get rid of your trash. That, that's what Paul's doing here. He's giving them their final instructions as he's landing his letter. And these are important. And today as we look at verse 12 and 13, we're going to see this. What should be the relationship of the pastors and the church? How should they relate? What is the responsibility of the pastors and what is the responsibility of the church to the pastors? Now, as we dig into this text, uh, just a word of clarification, I'll use I'll use these words interchangeably, pastors, elders, leaders, and it's all the same thing, the leaders of the church, the pastors. Scripture uses them interchangeably, and so I will as well. Now, now look at these two verses again. Look down at verse 12. Here's what Paul's doing. He's, He's organized the grammar very nicely for us. 
So it's very clear what he is saying. So, so here's kind of like a little mental map. So he has his request. We ask you, brothers, and included in that, sisters, brothers and sisters, he's asking the church something. And it's more than ask. It's not a request, so to speak. Uh, it's, it's a little more forceful than that. It's, I like King James here. It says, we beseech you. That's kind of a, a better, give a little more weight to it as it should have. Paul's giving them a command in the form of a question, okay? So it's, it's a gentle command, but what is Paul asking of them? Well, he's asking of them two things. You can see it in the text. Number one, to respect, and number two, to highly esteem in love. Okay, so those are the two things he's asking of the church, and who is he asking them to do this to? Well, it's leaders and it's, it's pastors. He says, those who labor among you, are over you in the Lord and admonish you. This is one group that, that's exhibiting these three tasks. So the church is to respect and to esteem highly and love their leaders, their pastors, their elders, this just group. Paul describes what those people do, and then Paul finishes with the result of all of this, be at peace among yourselves, which we just sang of in that last song. So the shepherds, the pastors, the leaders of the church have a responsibility to the sheep, and the sheep have a responsibility to the shepherd. Again, understanding this, this relationship, these, these responsibilities, these obligations between pastors and congregation is absolutely foundational to having a healthy, functioning, God-glorifying church. Pastor John MacArthur sums this up really well. Here, here's what he says, and listen to what he says. He says, nothing is more devastating to the spiritual progress of a church than an unwholesome relationship between the shepherds and the sheep. You can't have a healthy flock with that kind of problem. If shepherds are not fulfilling their proper spiritual responsibility to the sheep, and sheep are not, res- sheep are not fulfilling their proper spiritual responsibility to the shepherds, the church can never be what God intends it to be. And that's absolutely true. So our, our mission this morning is to understand this relationship so that we as your pastors, you as the congregation, can avoid this error. And again, when we want to do this, we look to God's word. So I'm going to break it down into three sections. Very simple. Shepherds, the shepherd's responsibility, the sheep's responsibility, and the result. So we'll go a little bit out of order in the text to kind of group these things together. So the first thing we're going to see is the shepherd's responsibility. Now, the New Testament has a lot to say about what a pastor is supposed to be, what kind of character he should have, what a pastor is supposed to do. But, but here in this passage, Paul describes the pastor's responsibility with three phrases, three ways to describe the role of the pastors of the church. Those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. Okay, now in this passage, we don't see the word pastor, elder, but it's clear whom Paul is talking about. Especially when you, again, look at other passages of Scripture. These same words are used of pastor elders all over the New Testament. But notice something first, before we kind of get into these three categories. Does Paul have in mind one singular pastor of the church or a group of pastors. It's very clear. 
It's a plural pronoun. Those who labor among you. See, Paul assumes and knows that there is a plurality of leaders in Thessalonica. Not only because he had established that church, but because this is the New Testament pattern for church leadership. A church is supposed to have a a plurality, multiple pastor elders leading it. If you want to learn more about that, uh, we preached on, on that exact topic and showing it from Scripture, gosh, that must have been three years ago, I think. It's on the website. Uh, you can dig into that. But here's the question. What are these leaders supposed to be doing? Well, number one, labor among the people. Labor among the people. You can see that in verse 12. A pastor is first and foremost one who labors among the people of the church, among the people of God. A pastor is one who wearies himself in service of the people. He exhausts himself. This is what this, this verb is, is explaining to us. Now, this word labor, just like our English word in Paul's day, it generally was used for physical labor, hard labor, the kind that, that makes you sweat. But Paul takes this word all throughout the New Testament and applies it to spiritual labor, spiritual work, pastoral work, pastoral labor, and that, labor, and that is what he means here. The pastors are to devote themselves to spiritually labor among the people of the church. What does this mean? What is this kind of labor? Well, first and foremost, it's preaching and teaching. Paul demonstrates this for us in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. This is kind of his, if there was a a mission statement for Paul's ministry, this would be it. Look, Look what he says. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And now, okay, so that's his ministry. He's preaching. Listen to how he describes it. For this I toil, struggling with all this energy that he powerfully works within me. See, Paul's ministry, he often describes as a, as a labor, as toil, as hard work. Not as, as physical labor necessarily, but as spiritual labor, as he proclaims, as he teaches, as he instructs people in Christ so that they would grow. Paul's ministry was one of labor, one of work. What is that work again? It's the proclamation of the gospel. It's teaching the people of God the word of God so that they might mature in Christ by the spirit of God. We see this idea even more clearly in in Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter. This passage here is almost a direct parallel to our passage, and we'll see it a couple times as we continue. 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul uses the exact same language. Listen to what he says. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor, same word, in preaching and teaching. So again, we see this this labor is a labor of preaching, proclaiming the gospel, and instructing the people of God in the word of God. It's a labor. It's a labor. It's not something that the pastor should come to lightly. It's a labor that Paul says is deserving of honor. It's feeding the sheep the word of God. This is what Jesus instructed Peter to do. Peter, feed my 
sheep. Faithful pastors must do more than this, but they certainly must not do less than this. This is, as pastors, our primary calling from God. We must labor in study, in prayer, so that we can feed you faithfully from the word of God. We must labor and study. We must labor in prayer over the word of God, over you. We must labor in counseling. We must labor among the people of God to serve you in the name of Christ. And I love that he says, among you. See, as pastors, we're not supposed to be removed and separate from the people of God. There's no distinction in scripture of clergy and laity, as, as if we're somehow separate. One of my professors in seminary, every time he said the word clergy, he would fake the, because he hated that, he hated that term so much because it separates the pastors from the people of God, in a sense. Pastors are simply members of the congregation whom the congregation has chosen to lead them in this labor. Pastors must be among the people. A shepherd must be among the sheep. And yet at the same time, pastors do have some type of authority. This is where Paul goes next. So we're laboring among the people. Look at number two. Pastors are to be over you in the Lord. Now this is an interesting phrase. The the Greek word that that translates over you is this really cool word that that, uh, communicates this idea of leadership and authority and care at the same time. So, So this word in the ancient world is used of different roles, like estate managers or like a, the village chiefs, the village elders, guardians of children, right? So it's, it's someone who has authority and uses that authority to care for others. What, what better description of a pastor is there? It, it's, it's our job to lead and to provide for the people. This is what we should be here at Del Cerro. Pastors are the spiritual guardians of the flock, We must give our lives as Christ's under-shepherds to lead, to protect, and to provide spiritually for the church in Christ. It's leadership marked by love and humility. Pastors are called to lead with this authority. Paul, again, uses this same word in multiple passages speaking of pastoral ministry. We actually saw it in 1 Timothy 5.17. If you look on the screen, the word right there that says rule, that's the same word that Paul, uh, that's translated as over you in our passage. So let the elders, Paul says, who are over you, you could say, be considered worthy of double honor. See this idea of ruling, of being over you, this idea of authority. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul gives a list of qualifications for the elders in the church. Says church, as you select men to lead you, make sure they fulfill these obligate these these uh, character qualities. One of them is this one in First Timothy three four through five. This word manage is the same Greek word here. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, and look at the parallel. 
how will he care for God's church? You can see what Paul's getting at. Anyone who wants to be a pastor, an elder of the church, must first demonstrate that he can lead and provide for his family, for for his children. Before he's endowed with spiritual authority in the church, he must show that he can steward his spiritual authority in the home in a way that's a blessing to his family. You can think of it like this. A man must faithfully shepherd his own little flock before he is endowed with the authority to, to shepherd the larger flock of God. This shepherding involves leadership. It involves care and provision, protection. A pastor's responsibility is to use this God-given authority to lead and to care for the church. But, but I want to be clear about something. See, sometimes when we hear the word authority, you know, as Americans, we're like, Ugh! we don't like it, right? So we've seen it abused so often. A, a pastor's authority is, is not total authority. And there are weird churches out there and there are cults that, that use verses like this to burden their people, to oppress their people. There's a, uh, a doctrine in kind of some of fundamental churches called covering doctrine. And it's this weird idea that literally before you make any decisions in your life, you need to go to your pastor and make sure it's okay with them. Um, please don't do that. Uh, th- that is not what the Bible is saying when it says that a pastor has authority. Um, this has been abused greatly. Our authority as pastors in this church is not total. Our authority as pastors is derivative. We do not possess authority just by the office of pastor or being a pastor. We possess authority insofar as the word of God says something about an issue. We have different roles among the pastors, but there is is one chief shepherd, and that's Jesus. Our authority stems only from our faithfulness to him and from our faithfulness to his word. So we have been given authority, but we are men under authority, the authority of Christ. And scripture says, we'll see this later, that we will one day give an account for how we lead under authority his authority. This is why Paul writes, look, at, look again at verse 12, and are over you in the Lord. Okay, so your, as your pastors, we're in some sense over you, we're leading you, we're caring for you, not out of our own wisdom, not out of our own authority, but in the Lord. Del Cerro Baptist Church, it's not my church, it's not Dustin's church, it's not Josh's church, it's Christ's church. He is the head of this church, and so we as your pastors must lead according to his word and nothing else. Christ has purchased his people, his church, with his own blood. God help us if we try and lead this church according to any other standard than the word of God, amen? So our responsibility is to labor among you, to lead you, and number three, to admonish and admonish you, Paul says. So pastors are to labor, to lead, and to admonish. Now, that's not a word we use very often. To admonish someone is, is to warn them. It carries this idea of, of warning someone of danger. 
of counseling someone away from, from the wrong path. So it, can, it could be both. It could be teaching someone about something that's dangerous before they go down it. You know, you shouldn't go down this. Don't play in the street. You'll get hit by a car. That's admonishment, okay? It's also admonishment to say, get out of the street. You're going to be hit by a car. It contains both of those ideas. Paul, again, uses this word a lot when he's talking about pastoral ministry. Colossians 1.28, again, him we proclaim warning, that's the same word, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Again, here's Paul's mission statement of his ministry. What does Paul want to do? Admonish everyone and teach everyone. Okay, so he wants to give them all the positive things. Uh, here's who God is. Here's the gospel and the negative things. Don't do this. Don't believe this. Don't live this way. It will lead to your death. So teaching is kind of what you should do. Admonishing or warning is what you shouldn't do. As a pastor, obviously, again, we're called to both. We teach. You should believe in Christ. You should follow him. Admonishment. You should not abandon Christ. You should not abandon the church. Again, sometimes it's preemptive. Don't go down that path. Sometimes it's corrective. You're going down the wrong path. Come back to Christ. Admonishment can be doctrinal. You must believe in the Trinity to be a true believer. If you accept Joseph Smith as a prophet, you're not a Christian. It can also be moral. If you abandon Jesus and cling to your sin, you will face God's judgment. Okay, so think, there are plenty of examples of this in Scripture. Think of Nathan, the prophet Nathan, with King David, when he comes to him, convicts him of sin. He says, you are the man. That's admonishment. David repents. He comes back to the Lord, and the Lord forgives him. There are whole books of admonishment. The book of Galatians is basically one big admonishment to the church in Galatia for accepting circumcision as a condition of salvation. The book of Hebrews is a warning. Do not go back to the former way of life or Christ will be of no benefit to you. These are admonishments. This is part of what it means to be a pastor. Admonishment is what happens every time most of us go to the dentist. Okay? Have you been flossing, they ask. They know. They can see our teeth. Come on. That's the admonishment. You need to start flossing or you're going to develop gingivitis. All your teeth are going to fall out and, you know, all these things. That's why we hate going. We hate that conversation. We need it, right? I need it. But we hate it. And let's be honest. It's the same reason why people don't want to go to church. They know the things that they are hiding in their heart the sins that they are playing with, and they don't want to hear someone tell them the consequences that their sin will have on them. Admonishment. Nobody likes to be admonished, but everyone needs it. Everyone needs it. It's an act of the grace of God to warn us of the dangers of our sin, the dangers of false teaching, the dangers of false doctrine. We've said it many times here, but the, the Christian life is, is not a game. There are real consequences of believing false things and of clinging to sin. It's one of the hardest responsibilities of a pastor. 
because it often comes with significant backlash. There's a, a constant temptation for us to forsake this responsibility. Admonishment. It's not enjoyable for the one receiving it, and it's not enjoyable for the one giving it. It's not enjoyable to sit with someone and tell them that unless they forsake their sexual sin, that they will ultimately be excommunicated. That if if they keep following their sin, we have no confirmation of their faith. It's, It's not enjoyable to sit with someone tell them that their interpretation of the Bible is not correct, that they've been believing a false teacher, that they've been imbibing false doctrine. It's not enjoyable to have to remove someone from teaching Sunday school. It's not enjoyable to tell a couple that they shouldn't get married, to tell someone that they're living in sin, that they need to repent. It's not enjoyable to have to correct someone's false teaching. It's not enjoyable, but it's our responsibility. This this is the role of all of us, but specifically the pastors. And it's even harder because we know our own hearts. We know that we're not perfect. We, We too need admonishment. Of course we do. In fact, all of these things that we are supposed to do, laboring, leading, Admonishing, we also need done to us. Being a leader does not remove you from the need of these things. In fact, it probably intensifies it. And again, this is the beauty of having multiple pastors. This is why it's not this solo pastor model has been so devastating to the church. This is why there is a... uh, team of pastors leading, we often, they ask the other pastors, we often admonish one another, correct one another, encourage one another, lead one another, care for one another, labor with one another to grow in the Christian life. This is why right now there's a, there's a team of members here proposing some changes to our bylaws so that we can appoint more men to shoulder the privilege and the burden of shepherding alongside us. We want our church to be structured and led like the churches in the New Testament. Pastors must labor among the people. They must lead and care for the people. They must admonish the people. As pastors of Christ's church, these are our responsibilities, and by the grace of God alone, we will fulfill them and grow in them, and grow together until that final day. May God use us to glorify himself. That's the shepherd's responsibility. But now let's look at the sheep's responsibility. So what is the church's responsibility towards its leaders, to its pastors, to its elders? How should a church treat its leaders? Paul gives two commands here. Respect them, esteem them highly in love. Respect them and esteem them highly in love. Let's, let's look at what, what that means here. So again, look at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, and again, it's a little more, we urge you, we, we beseech you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you, and he continues. Now, now what, is this, what does this 
mean? Does this just mean be nice to them? No, please be nice though. Um, it's always nice. What does this look like? How can we, again, because we are pastors, but we're also among you, how can we as a church obey this command? It has less to do with behavior being nice and more to do with acknowledgement. And some translations say that, acknowledge those who labor among you. In other words, the way that a church obeys this command is to let the leaders lead, to follow their leadership. Let the pastors pastor. One of the marks of an unhealthy church is, is a church that's constantly fighting its pastor's leadership, constantly criticizing its pastors, constantly accusing them of things that are false. There are churches out there, and thank God this church hasn't been one of them. There are churches out there, and I'm sure if there's anyone here who's looked for a job in ministry, you've found these. There are churches that just chew up and spit out pastors to their own shame. One of my mentors counseled me years ago with this thought as, as I was finishing up seminary. He said, when you're, when you're looking for a job in ministry, when you're looking for a church to pastor, one of the questions that you want to ask is, how long was the last pastor there? And, and the guy before him, how long was he there? And the guy before him. And you can get a, a really good read on a church from that question. If you're sitting there interviewing with a church and the last three pastors were only there for a year each, guess what? <laughs> you're going to be out the door in about a year, if not sooner. So the way that a church lets a pastor lead is indicative of its health in many ways. Now, again, that's assuming a healthy pastor and all those things. But a healthy church selects worthy men to pastor it, and then it respects, acknowledges, and appreciates their pastoral leadership. The church lets the pastors labor, lead, and admonish them. It receives their leadership. It receives their instruction from God's word and seeks to obey it. Listen to how the author of Hebrews touches on the same subject. Again, Paul, when he's talking about these things, uh, says a lot of the same stuff. That will give you a hint as to who I think wrote Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Okay, very similar to what we're seeing here. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. You see the similarity. Let your pastors lead. Let them do it with joy. Why? Because they keep watch over your souls and will have to give an account to God for what they do. Yeah, I can honestly say there's no verse in the Bible that terrifies me more than this verse. This is why James says, not many should be teachers. Keeping watch over your souls is, is those who will have to give an account to God for how we treated, how we led, how we cared for, how we admonished his sheep. This is why it's important for a church to choose its pastors wisely. When the church chooses its leaders, its pastors, its elders, it's entrusting their souls to their care. This is why the scriptures lay down qualifications for church leadership in 1 Timothy and Titus. This is why it's important to for the church that has this authority to remove an elder or a pastor if he shows himself not to be qualified. 
So we just welcomed in three new members, and Lord willing, we will welcome more. God has been gracious to us, but this is this is this this welcoming in new members is a beautiful illustration of this passage in action, the passage in 1 Thessalonians. See, part of the reason that membership is important is because of texts like this and this text in Hebrews. You, you, you can't obey this text if you do not commit to be a part of a church. You can't obey this text in the Hebrews passage if you will not place yourself under the spiritual care of a church and its group of pastor elders. How can you look at a text like Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your soul if you won't be a part of a church? See, the pastor on live stream or the TV, he will not give an account for your soul. He doesn't even know who you are. The, the New Testament model of Christianity is a commitment to a local body of believers who know you Pastors who know you and can shepherd you, who can care for your soul through thick and thin. You can learn a lot from someone on live stream on TV, but they can't pastor you. See, when you become a member of Del Cerro, as our brothers and sisters just have, part of what you are doing is obeying this verse. You're acknowledging the authority of the church and its leadership. You are, in effect, saying, this Hebrews 13, this 1 Thessalonians 5.12, I'm going to do that here. These are the, the pastors that I'm going to respect and to esteem. This is the church that I'm going to commit to. This is why our covenant says, and we say this every members meeting, and it's, it's refreshing to my soul. This is why our covenant says this, one of the paragraphs, one of the commitments of membership is this, that we will eagerly work and pray to maintain the unity of the Spirit, submitting to one another in reverence to Christ, and submitting to our leaders under the headship of Christ, never seeking to sow division, but always seeking to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You can see we just pulled this language right out of the New Testament. This is why we covenant together in membership, so that we can hold each other accountable to this and to glorify God together. So that we can lead the church in the joy and the peace of Christ according to his word. So the sheep's responsibility is to respect, to acknowledge, to follow the leadership of its pastors. The ones who labor among them, who are over them, who admonish them. Paul secondly says this, to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. This one's pretty straightforward. Love your leaders because of their work. Regard them very highly in love. Again, this is kind of a strange thing to preach on because it feels like I'm just like, love me, please, love me. It's not the, really the tone of the passage, okay? Um, but it's saying something like that. Uh, I don't know, it's, it's the word of God, it's not me. Um, of course, now all these 80s ballads just popped up in my head because I said that. I want to know what love is, church, and I want you to show me, okay? Uh, it's foreigner. It's a, anyway. Uh, see what happens when I go off my notes? Um, so, of course, as Christians, right, everyone knows, even people who don't know the Bible, we are called to love as Christians. We're all called to love each other. But there is something a little different going on here. Paul says very highly, as Paul puts it, esteem your leaders very highly in love. And notice what he says in the second half of the verse. 
because of their work. Again, an elder, a leader of the church, must prove himself worthy of this kind of love by serving the people faithfully in his God-given duties. The ones we talked about earlier, laboring, leading, admonishing. Okay, the, the, the opposite of this is true. An unfaithful, lazy pastor deserves not this kind of love. And if a church has unfaithful pastors like that, pastors that aren't laboring, aren't leading, pastors who are too cowardly to admonish them, pastors who refuse to preach the word, the church is to remove them. That's not really the focus of the passage. So here we're talking about love. Things in Thessalonica, the church here, are, are going well. Because so I was meditating on this passage, I was, I was thinking, okay, you want to obey this text. How can you love a pastor well? And honestly, I can say this. I think our church is doing good at this. Could we always improve? Sure. But let me tell you this. I have a lot of friends in ministry and I hear a lot of horror stories. And I thank God every day, every time I hear one of those stories, I thank God for this church. Because there are many pastors out there who are, their churches are not doing this. And they are struggling uh, greatly. Of course, our church isn't perfect. But this is a church that desires to honor God's word and to glorify God. So I'm thankful for that. But just in reflection, here's, here's some practical ways to love your pastors. And again, this applies to other pastors as well. If you move on, you move somewhere else, you go to another church, my hope is that you would fulfill these things, not just for us, but for whatever church you're in, whatever pastors you're under. Number one, pray for us. Pray for us. We need your prayers. We're all, all of us, our whole church, every Christian is engaged in a spiritual war. And as your pastors in some sense, we, we are out front. We are the focus of the enemy's attacks. So pray for us. Pray that God would keep us faithful. Pray for our marriages. Pray for us as, as husbands, as fathers. Pray that God would give us wisdom. Pray that God would give us soft uh, hearts and thick skin. Pray that God would, would give us conviction, that would give us boldness and clarity as we proclaim his word. Pray that God would empower our labor in preaching and teaching with the power of his Holy Spirit. Pray for us. If you do nothing else, I would ask, please pray for us, and we will feel loved. The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon was once asked, what was the secret to his ministry? Because he's one of the most famous preachers of all time. What was the secret to his ministry? And he answered with this, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. The Apostle Paul constantly is asking the churches he writes to to pray for him. So if, if the Apostle Paul and Charles Spurgeon need prayer, how much more are your poor pastors here, okay? Please, pray for us. We need it. We live on it. More than any of us realize, I'm sure. So pray for us. Number two, love our families. Love our wives, love our kids, pray for them, be their friends. And again, I'm so thankful for the ministry of this church to my family, for the way that you all have loved my family. My kids love to come to church because the people here love them. So continue in that. Love the families of your pastors. Number three, just be our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are not spiritual superheroes. Though we are shepherds, we are still sheep in the flock. 
One pastor put it this way. This is a reminder. He said, pastors have no special well of spiritual strength to draw from, no secret tools to reinforce their spiritual fortitude beyond what any of us has. It's easy to forget that Christ's under-shepherds are still sheep in his flock. So just be a brother and sister to Christ. That's number three. Number four, one of the ways you can love us is hold us accountable to fulfill our responsibilities. We're not perfect. We're not inerrant. No one's tempted to believe that if you know us. It's your job as a church to love us. And one of the ways you can do this is by making sure we're doing what God has called us to do as your pastors. We do this for each other as pastors, but that's your job as well. So again, in light of this passage, Paul says, respect your pastors, your leaders, love your leaders. And again, as as we seek to faithfully obey God's word and bring other men alongside us to lead, this applies to them just as much as it applies to any of us three. But what is the result? Verse 13, look what Paul says. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. This is the ideal state of a healthy church, peace. When the elders are leading the church faithfully and the people of the church are respecting and loving them, the result is peace in the church. Peace in the body, unity in the spirit, joy in the spirit. The flip side is also true. When the people of the church are seeking to be at peace with one another, they will follow the leadership of their pastors, and the pastors will faithfully lead. I'm sure some of us have been, have seen the opposite of this, seen how ugly of a place the church can be when these commands of God are, are jettisoned. We've all seen how ugly a place a church can be when the people of the church resent the pastors, accuse the pastors, fight the pastors, refuse to let them lead. We've seen how awful it is when unfaithful pastors do not re- fulfill their responsibilities. But brothers and sisters, if we will hear the voice of God in this text and obey it, this will not be the case here. May Delcero Baptist Church be a church that is known for faithful humble, godly pastors, and a church that is known for the way its people love them. May Del Cerro be a place where the flock is cared for and the pastors likewise are loved, respected. May our church be a place where Christ is magnified as Lord and head of the church. And in light of all of that, may our church be a church that is at peace in Christ. This peace is not one that we come to by our own work. Peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we can manufacture. It's not something that we fake. It comes by unity in the Spirit. It comes when we obey God's word by the power of the Spirit. And it's by his power and for his glory that we can do that. So let's pray. Let's pray to our triune God that he would help us to obey this text, so that we together might be effective for his kingdom. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father,